1: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Black History Month starts today, and Georgia has a long line of African-American trailblazers to celebrate. Today we're learning about a truly original mouth of the South, James Alley Pat Patrick. Atlantans first heard the DJ in 1951 when he hit the airwaves on the city's first black-owned
2: radio station, WERD. Oh, yeah, it's about four minutes after five o'clock, and this is 1480 on you dial in Atlanta, Georgia. I tell you.
1: <laughs> Pat died at age 95 in 2015, but filmmaker Tom Roach documented his life in Alley Pat. The music is recorded, and he's joining me via Skype from New Orleans. Hello, Tom.
0: Good morning, Virginia. You know, you do a serious and thoughtful show every day, and we're now going to throw all of that out the window (laughs) for the next 15 minutes, aren't
1: we? It must have been so much fun to go through this tape. This man was a real character.
0: I sat in the uh, edit studio and laughed and laughed and laughed and uh, built this uh, movie over over the course of seven or eight years on weekends at a big post-production facility that was vacant uh, Saturday and Sunday with all of this expensive gear uh, sitting idle, and I thought I'll just dive in and do this, and it was sort of self-centered of me to start working on a film of an 81-year-old guy and then spend seven years to get it done. But he lived to see it, and it came in first place at the Atlanta Film Festival, to everyone's surprise.
1: Well, it's I can't wait to dig into it, and here to do that with us is Richie DeForest. He's a gatekeeper now at the WERD Museum in Atlanta, which is preserving the legacy of Ali Pat and other black artists who face discrimination, especially during Jim Crow, and welcome,
3: Richie. Good morning. Good morning, Tom. Thank you. Hey, Richie. Great hey, to hear your What's voice. You know, what I doing, think man? I just called
1: you Richie instead of Reesey. Well, I answered Recy. to all of them
3: <laughs> <laughs> because I know what you mean. Yeah, But it's Reese. Yes. All
1: right, Tom. To those who don't know or never heard of Alley Pat, who was he? Tell us a little bit about his background.
0: Well, he uh, kind of played the fool on the air, but he was actually a, a, a pretty studious guy. He was uh, uh, the child of an architect in Montezuma, Georgia. And uh, he uh, enrolled in Morehouse in pre-med, and then one day someone uh, at this brand new station, which was uh, called a Negro format station, heard Pat calling bingo somewhere and said you've got a great radio voice why don't you come down and try out and pat really didn't want to do it but on the other hand he knew that he was at morehouse taking medicine uh medical training and he really was more interested in chasing girls and so he gave radio a try and left the uh, the morehouse medical uh, uh student grind behind and the rest is, is broadcast history
1: well let's hear a little bit of that here he is doing his thing on the air just about to at a break, break
2: of day, yeah, yeah. And I know what you're talking about. Feel your pillow, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she ain't down no more. Oh. Where well, your baby <laughs> used to lay? Hey, don't start me to cry, man. You see,
1: he jumped around stations for decades after his start in 1951. He did a TV show, he emceed many live shows. Why was that voice, like Ali Pat, so important at that time and place? What do you think, Reese?
3: Well, Ali Pat, uh, everything lined up for him. The music, the environment, um the personalities the fact that werd was the first black-owned radio station in north america and it just seems as i'm looking at it um, from a distant perspective it just seems like everything was just lined up perfect and he was the perfect personality for that particular time. It was a beautiful,
1: beautiful age for for black music and Uh, first hitting the mainstream in America. But you, Tom, you were a young white disc jockey when you first heard Alley Pat. How did you come to meet him?
0: Well, I uh, was, would sit in traffic in Atlanta uh, listening to a show just crying with laughter, and not only was the music great, but then as a DJ, I also was into sort of the found art of dead air and records at the wrong speed and air conditioner hum <laughs> and everything that goes along with a low-budget station, and one day, uh, we it was, it was Christmas Day, and I was with a friend um, uh, down in South Atlanta, and we'd had a little taste, as Allie Pat would say, and we thought, let's Let's just get in the car and go over there and bang on the door and see what happens. And uh, uh, so we went down there because Pat was on the air complaining that it was Christmas and he had to work. And um, the door threw open, and he said, y- you you, white boys ain't got nothing better to do than to come down here and F with me. And we thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble now. <laughs> and then he changed to a big, broad smile and invited us in. And that's where we saw the madhouse that was his little studio with the VU meters pegging out and records you know, all over the place, and him just having a great, fun time, and that's that was just his environment. He worked all alone and created this fantastic soundscape every day, and eventually I got to know him a little better and decided to take the 30 hours of tapes I had, I had acquired over the years. So again, I would have met him maybe in 89, and then around 2002, We signed a deal to um, uh, make the movie. But when I say signed a deal, he said, where's my money? And I said, well, there's not going to be any money. And at the end of the day, as successful as the film has been, I've never made a dime off of it. Mm.
1: Well, I can imagine for seven years of work. But let's hear a little bit more of him because that's really the point of being here. Atlantans may remember his freestyled ads. Here is one of many used in your film.
2: ...told you that they are good arrangers. They can make arrangements for any occasion. If it's death or a wedding, of course, a wedding and death are very um, are synonymous. One is about as bad as the other. When you get married, you actually die, and when you die, you're dead also. So they,
1: they so that's for flowers by the vineyards. He did them for hair salons, restaurants, tire shops, clothing stores. And we're told in the film that business owners paid him not the many stations he worked for. And these were not always glowing endorsements. Why did they keep coming back?
0: Oh, I just think that uh, any publicity is good publicity. And uh, in the film, we also feature uh, the, the wonderful and heavenly H. Johnson um, from, He's you know, still, long- still on
1: WABE. Yes, he is. Still on
0: WABE. And he says that he was so influenced by Alley Pat that he went on the air and he tried to make fun of sponsors and promptly got in big trouble for it, uh, just proving that there's there's a there's a certain art to the insult. And H didn't have it. And you just don't do that <laughs> on the radio. But Pat was the kind of guy. He drove around town in a big car with the windows always down so he could just shuck and jive with anybody out on the sidewalk and everybody knew him and everybody expected that from him and if he didn't insult them people said pat are you feeling all right today
1: (laughs) well Reese, were there other djs like him on the air at that time i mean we certainly have our wild djs but what did he bring that was so distinctive
3: there were definitely other djs i mean there was um i'm trying to think of the dj who had his show um you might know his name. Uh, his show was Purple Grotto. They called him Herb Lance. Mm-hmm. But no one had the comic instincts of the great Ally Pat. And he- I am just grateful to have... Uh, Met him on several occasions on October 3rd of uh, every year, which is when W.E.R.D. went on the air. We have a party for W.E.R.D. and Ali Pat. And Ali Pat attended a couple of those parties.
1: Mm-hmm. Did other DJs try to imitate his style?
3: Um, not. I, I don't really have a great deal of information of anyone that might have tried to influence his style. I think uh, Ali Pat was, you know, had his own lane, his own planet.
1: Tom, did white people listen to W.E.R.D. Or, or or follow his advice to shop on Auburn Avenue? Uh,
0: well, uh, you know, when I made the movie, I realized as, as a listener um, that pretty much everybody on the south side of Atlanta knew who he was. And very few people on the north side of the black-white divide, shall we say, knew other than jazz freaks and blues freaks and crazy radio freaks. So when I started recording his shows, uh, I did I did it just for my own. I-, I was just frustrated; these this wonderful material was going out into the airwaves and was lost forever. So I started recording it, and. Eventually acquired 30 hours of, of cassettes, and then they sat in a shoebox in my basement uh, for a couple decades. And only later did I come and and make a film. And that rambling answer did not. That no, you did not, did not answer, answer my question, question. Thank, so thank so you <laughs> very much.
1: But somebody somebody in your film does say, you know, uh, that that you know, this was a glimpse into a community that he knew nothing about. And of course, most of this is during segregation, so there wasn't a lot of sort of crossover of culture of course, other than yes. through music. And so that
0: that gets back into the fact of, for instance, when Pat would have Hosea Williams on for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, with no music, no station IDs, and they were just you know, just shooting the breeze, it was a conversation I would not have heard otherwise, and I learned a lot from it. Uh, I just learned, learned a lot about culture. And this gets back to uh, the importance of black radio, especially WERD in the 1950s, and the emergence of what they called Negro format radio. In the 40s, the radios were large. They had two they stayed in the living room. In the 50s, the radios got smaller and moved up into the bedrooms. And the white audience could listen to black music and black culture that was at variance with what their racist parents might have been telling them. And they could hear the real Fats Domino and not the Pat Boone version, etc. And so this this uh, you know, black radio uh, afforded white listenership to dig deep into the culture and learn a lot and actually start to say uh, discrimination is wrong. What are these people talking about? Hmm.
1: That's Tom Roach. His documentary film about the legendary DJ Ali Pat won the Founders and Directors Award at the Atlanta Film Festival. Recy DeForest is yes. also with us. He's in charge of a museum dedicated to Atlanta's black history, including WERD Radio. Well, uh, white audience aside, there was he played such an important role in African-American history. There's, there are terrific bits in the film of A Conversation between Pat and former civil rights leader and U.N. Ambassador Andrew Young. And you spoke with him afterwards. Here he is talking about Pat in the film.
2: The thing that I think Pat became famous for, in fact, I think he was, a, he was really a forerunner to Tom Joyner and all of these folk. Stuff they're doing now, you were doing years ago. years ago. And he used to say, all right, now it's time to get up and get them pink curlers out of your head. And get them out before you leave the house. Don't be standing up at the bus stop still taking out the curls. And for God's sake, don't be driving down the road still trying to get them damn curlers out of your head. What do you think, Reese? Was he the first shock jock?
3: Oh, I I think so. Uh, Let me just share this with you. I've learned that um, in 1967, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke to the Association of Radio and TV Broadcasters in terms of the significance that the DJ played in the breaking down of the um, walls of segregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, th- this is a wonderful little story. Uh, we sp- WERD takes music to senior homes um, throughout the city. Mm-hmm. And um, this one senior home I went to, this little small white lady pulls me aside, and she says, you know, when I was a teenager, I would take my transistor radio upstairs in the closet. There in the you attic. go. And listen to W.E.R.D. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Yeah, the, right? You're freed from the family console. But, exactly. But do you think, Reese, there was also a little bit of shock at hearing a black man on the air at a time not being polished or, you know, doing the code switching that often happened for a black man in, in a mass audience?
3: Well, I mean, during that era within the black community, that was not a big deal. It was probably, um, I mean, it was just natural conversation. Mm hmm. Right?
1: But unguarded conversations. Yes. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. right. Exactly. Well, he was, of course, a forerunner on the radio. But Andrew Young and Ali Pat also talked about Pat's role as the first black bail bondsman in Atlanta in the early 1960s. He was instrumental in the civil rights movement for getting activists, including Martin Luther King Jr., now Congressman John Lewis, Ralph Abernathy, many others out of jail. Now, here's Pat speaking on air about one of those runs.
2: Georgia Towns and I was scared to death that one of them crackers was going to shoot me for coming down there getting those uh, quote unquote out of jail. That's what they used to say.
1: Yeah, he's, he tells a similar story at Hosea Williams' funeral, you know, about a sheriff with tobacco juice running down his both sides of his mouth. You know, he can't even read. Had anyone heard anything like this on the radio, Recy?
0: Not, Not to my knowledge.
1: Yeah, how about uh, you, Tom?
0: I, I don't know where to begin um, he um, uh, you know when he spoke at Hosea's funeral he talked about facing down those sheriffs and he just would quietly tell the sheriff well he wouldn't tell the sheriff he was a, a black mail bondsman. He'd tell the sheriff, I work for a white man in Atlanta. <laughs> and that just brought the house down at, at uh, Ebenezer when, uh, when uh, Pat spoke at Hosea's funeral. You know, we really haven't mentioned that um, uh, since the film is so full of uh, fantastic music that would cost a fortune to license, It's I, I give it away for free. Mm-hmm. You can see it any time if you just search "Ally Pat. Vimeo. It's mm-hmm. a, uh, there's a video service called video, Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, Ali Pat, Vimeo. And we could also put a link on your side. Yeah, we'll do that. Pat, we'll uh, do that. Hey, hey, you know, all-
1: cut out with the D- the promotional DJ stuff. Let's get back to the story here. Yes,
0: ma'am. I'll <laughs> sit <right>. up straight.
1: <laughs> well, was there any retribution for Pat for his work in the civil rights movement?
0: Um, What do you mean?
1: Well, you know, did he suffer? I mean, many people who were active in the civil rights movement were targeted. Was he, as a very public personality, talking about things like, you know, cracker sheriffs in South Georgia?
0: Oh, no, I don't think so at all. I think because his his audience was exclusively African-American with just a, a, a few per, tiny percent uh, white listeners, uh, he was actually very brave because the civil rights workers would go to these small towns en masse during the day, and then Pat would come down to these small towns at night alone with a suitcase full of money uh, to bail them out. So um, I think he he uh, had a lot of respect in the community for that that level of bravery.
1: Mm-hmm. Tell me how he got his name Alley Pat quickly. We're up against a break.
0: Um, well, um, uh, his uh, uh, his listeners said that you know his 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 uh, initial shows on WYZ sounded like blues from the alley, mm-hmm. and so that morphed into Alley Pat.
1: Well, let's hear a little bit of the blues that he loved to give people a taste of. As we head into a break, we are going to come right back in a minute with the the maker, uh, Tom Roche. He's the documentary filmmaker. He made the film about the legendary DJ Ali Pat and also Reese DeForest, who's in charge of a museum dedicated to Atlanta's black history, including Negro-owned, as it was called, W-E-R-D Radio. We'll leave you with some Howlin' Wolf, one of Allie Pat's favorites. We'll be back with more on Second Thought in just a minute. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott, and we're continuing our conversation about a pioneer of black radio on this first day of Black History Month. James Patrick, known as Alley Pat. Now, whether you lived in uh, Atlanta forever or you're just pulling into town, he is one of the characters who have helped shape the character of Atlanta. Tom Roach is a longtime Atlantan who now lives in New Orleans, where he's joining us on Skype. And he worked with Pat and is the writer, editor, and producer of a documentary feature called Alley Pat. The music is recorded Reese DeForest is with us. He's in charge of preserving the W.E.R.D. studio. That's at the Madam C.J. Walker Museum, both of them here. Uh, Tom, want to ask you about, there's a bit in your film when Ali Pat reflects on his relationship with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Let's just hear this. This is with the night before he left for Memphis.
2: I was with him the night before he went to Memphis, which was on a Sunday night. They had a retreat for SCLC at the Regency Hotel downtown. And uh, he was in his suite with his wife, and I was on the same floor. We were having a party. He came out of the suite to the party in his pajamas and his night robe. And he sat up there with us and drank scotch and soda.
1: What a, a poignant memory, considering, of course, what happened after that. What was his relationship like with the Civil Rights Movement leaders like King and Lewis and Hosea Williams?
0: Well, oh, go ahead. Oh, was that Reese? No, no, talk? go ahead, Tom. OK. Um, well, you know, he had known uh, Dr. King as just an ordinary Joe. Pat says uh, he didn't give a damn about money. He didn't give a damn about Publicity. He just was an ordinary guy, but at the same time, Pat knew that um, uh, you know. At the time, Dr. King passed away. Pat reflected that for Dr. King, there was no there was no the way out. Uh, he knew this was going to happen someday, and he and Pat uh, reflected that he was surprised that the assassination of King didn't happen sooner. Mm. So he was uh, he was braced for that news, and it's interesting to hear you play back that piece about uh, the night before. You know, as an ed- as a film editor, you're always trying to truncate. People's comments, so they can make their point quickly, and you can move on and fit more stories in. But an editor also needs to know when to just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. This is history, Pat, talking about the last night of King's life. And as an editor, editor, you just cue that up and you just let it play, and you use every scrap of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and Risi, for you, uh, you know, you know about his history in radio. One of them was at WYZE, which yes. was the gospel music station. And yet he didn't seem to have a lot of love for a lot of preachers, aside from Dr. King.
3: Well, I just think he was just telling it the way it was. I don't think there was any animosity there. It's just the reality of um, his experiences.
1: Right. Well, okay. so you mentioned before, Tom, the funeral of Hosea Williams. Andrew Young was there, Jesse Jackson, the cream of the civil rights era there, and And Pat had everybody absolutely in stitches. Um, You know, he's not the maker of speeches or an organizer, but brought them all down, brought down the house, really. Let's hear just a little bit of that.
2: When I got here, uh, the operator called me and said, Mr. Patrick, will you please uh, take all of these calls off of your mailbox? I said, I'm not supposed to have any calls. I said, but I'll see where they are. I picked up the phone and began to go through the mailbox and all of his women was calling me to find out how he was.
1: So what did it mean to have that particular voice? You know, you're 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 not talking about um, august ideas or pushing things forward, but, but that kind of sense of humor, what did that mean for the community? Reese, do you have any thoughts on that? Well,
0: uh, no, not really.
1: <laughs> How about you, Tom? Do you want to follow up?
0: Well, the if if you've never seen the entire Hosea Williams funeral eulogy from Pat, it's an absolute must see. And when I when that happened, I was I was just wrapping up the film, and it was a 60-minute film. And when that happened, I saw it, and I just said, my film just became an 85-minute film mm. because we've just got to put all of this in and let it run. Uh, again, leave it alone, truncate it maybe a little bit, but that just showed how f- Pat could get fired up and the more the audience fired him up he would just he would just charge forward and it's fascinating to uh to as a filmmaker to have sort of become friends with Andy Young and become friends with all these civil rights pioneers and it's it's a it's an odd burden when a white Uh, filmmaker takes on black history especially with a lot of sensitive language um, and you just have to make sure you get it right do test screenings and the end result is when I do screenings the white viewers to a person come up and say wow what a wild ride that was and the black viewers to a person come up to me and say thank you
1: well thank you for speaking with us about Ali Pat Tom Roach appreciate you being here
0: and I hope, again, you can check out Alley, Pat, Vimeo. Look it up. You can stream the film online for free.
3: Or Ta- you can come by the studio because we play it.
1: All right there. Oh, right there. There you, you go. go. That would be a beautiful <laughs> thing for somebody who's visiting Atlanta to see a great glimpse of Atlanta. Reese DeForest, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Information on where to find him and that studio and also the film at gbbnews.org.
2: Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind